Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope your week has improved from where it was on Tuesday morning to now. Because let's face it, it was pretty grim on Tuesday morning. I don't think anyone was feeling particularly good about what happened against Newcastle and obviously coming so close to what happened in the Derby. It's fair to say the mood was not particularly great. But we're going into the final game of the Premier League season, the 21-22 season. And it looks like a season which promised a lot in terms of where we might finish and what it might bring next season is going to end up being one over which we have... Regrets, I think it's fair to say, even though getting back into Europe was important and the idea of the Champions League was a fanciful one, really, at the start of the season, the fact that we were so close and couldn't quite get it over the line, much like the ball in our last couple of games, is something that will resonate for a while, that everybody is going to have to find their own way and their own method of uh, coming to terms with it and coping with it and all the rest. That said, there is one game to go. Football is a weird and strange and bizarre sport. Things that you don't think are possible come to pass. That old saying about how it's not over until the fat lady sings, well, she's over there doing her vocal exercises and she's about to grab the microphone and hit the stage and all the rest, but... There is the very, very, very slim chance that if Norwich beats Spurs and we beat Everton, then all of the pain of this week would be flipped on its head. And somehow, miraculously, and also very, very hilariously, we would end up in the Champions League next season. Now, I wouldn't necessarily put any money on it. I wouldn't bet on that myself. I'm not really a betting man, but when I do, I try and stay within the uh, realms of uh, reality as much as possible. But it's football, and you can never say never. I don't know which is more unlikely, though, us actually winning a game or Tottenham losing to Norwich. But we'll wait and see, and obviously the weekend could spring a surprise here or there. But I have to say, I'm looking forward to going over for my first game in a long time. I haven't been to a game since pre-COVID because of, well, all the various reasons that you all know and understand. And we're going over and we're doing a, a live podcast in Union Chapel on Saturday night, along with the Arsenal Vision podcast crew. I'll give you some more details of that a little bit later on. So I am very much looking forward to just experiencing Arsenal again. And that's the game. That's everything that surrounds the game, the pregame pints, the postgame pints, meeting people, talking people, seeing friends, that I haven't seen for a very long time. And even if this season ends up as one that is going to be ultimately disappointing, that aspect of it never is and never will be. So I'm very much looking forward to getting over. I've been uh, in my office looking around for my uh, remote recording gear because there's still podcasts to do while I'm over there. And, uh, you know, this was something I used to do quite a bit. Um, you know, when I go over for games, I'd, I'd bring my gear, but also when I was producing podcasts and I've been looking around, trying to find the recorder, trying to find the microphone cables, trying to find the microphones themselves. Do I have the right USB cables to get everything into my laptop? I think I've got everything organized there, but undoubtedly I'll arrive in London and it will occur to me that I've forgotten something 
crucial and fundamentally important. But look, I'm sure we'll find a way to make it all happen. Um, I guess today's show is going to be a bit introspective all the same, given what's happened in our last two games and and everything else. Um, There's no escaping that, is there? You can't ignore it. You can't hide it. There are some hard truths that we have to face. Nevertheless, I do think there are reasons to be optimistic about where we can go and what we can do next season as well. So let's get on with the show and let's get on with the discussion. A couple of guests with me this week. First up, Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. And Lewis Ambrose is here as well. Hello, Lewis. Hello, Andrew. Hope you're both well. Yeah, two, yeah, hello, Andrews, I think you should say. Oh, well, yeah, sorry. You know, it's just more efficient that way. You know? <laughs> um, let's start with you, Lewis. Uh, the last few days have been quite disappointing, it's fair to say, now that a little bit of time has passed, a little bit of water has gone under the bridge. How are you feeling about it all? Um, a little bit better. <laughs> not not good, not particularly good. I, I, I don't I don't think any of us thought, I didn't think um, a couple of weeks ago that we'd now be heading into the last day of the season needing a miracle, a little bit of a miracle from Norwich mm. um, to, to finish in the top four. So yeah, it's a, it was obviously a really disappointing week and it, yeah, it's a strange one because at the start of the season, everyone probably would have thought that this was quite a good season to finish fifth and, and be still within a chance of fourth on the final day. And then the way things have gone, obviously, now it feels like quite the disappointment, not just the results, but the way that they've happened as well. Probably, I think, if you, unless you go back to those first three games of the season, which was really with a completely different lineup as well before the, the business was really done all at the end of the transfer window. And we went into that Norwich game, I think it was, with half the team changed and all the new signings thrown in. I think this week, these Tottenham and Newcastle games have probably been maybe the two worst performances of the whole season since way back in August. So, yeah, it's uh, not the way that we wanted to go out. The context of it all is really important, Andrew, isn't it? Because there is that like, well, nobody expected you to be there in the first place, but you are there and that's the reality that you have to contend with and you have to face up to. And that's the challenge that sport and football presents. You know, unexpected things can happen. Uh, you know, a mad team like Leicester can win the league in a season and, and that kind of stuff. So how do you find the balance between the crushing disappointment of the last two games and what the prize could have been versus the fact that like, I I don't want to say like finishing fifth is good because we could have finished fourth and everyone knows how close that was and how disappointing it was. But at the same time, it's not like the game show where we've gone all in and opened up the wrong box and we get like nothing. We're not going home empty handed. If you like, we do have European football for next season. There are things that we can build on. You know, how do you try and balance that in your own mind or do you just give in to the darkness? Um, there's there's definitely been a kind of dull, aching sadness about the way the last week has played out. And, you know, some of that's purely selfish because I was really looking forward to a kind of last day of the season, carnival-esque atmosphere, the opportunity that goes with that, the excitement. You know, it was kind of potentially cup final-esque with a, with a prize as big as the Champions League on offer. And I mean, at the same time, you kind of go back and you look at everything and there are regrets because of, you know, what might we have done differently because it's so close. And obviously it's Spurs. So it kind of grates mm. even more that they're going to be the ones who kind of overtake us. I think one of the things that sort of, playing on my mind the most is the fact that so much progress has maybe been made this season in uniting this the fan base you know there's there's been a lot happening behind the scenes the atmosphere at the stadium is a lot better and 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 fourth place kind of would have really consolidated a sense of progress and and kind of maintained that momentum and given us a bit of a kickstart on several different fronts whether that's financial in the transfer market just a level of prestige confidence um, and, a, and a lot to, to do with Mikel Arteta's uh, reputation as well. I kind of feel like 
you know, a lot of hard work's gone into to 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 being united this season, but he is still sort of teetering on the edge. And there's a lot of people who were quite willing to sort of turn on him a little bit as soon as those two games played out the way they did this week. Um, so it's really just, I guess, I don't, I don't feel like going over the top about any of it. Like I, I feel relatively kind of calm. This has happened. I'm trying to soak it up. It's heartbreaking, but I, I can see the kind of the wood through the trees, as it were. Or, you know, I can see that there is progress made. I just feel like maybe this was a little bit of a cheat code to the next level, getting into the Champions League. And, you know, who knows what we would have done in the summer, what kind of uh, doors that would have opened player-wise and stuff. Now I'm a little bit like, mm, how's this going to play out? You know, are we going to now be able to kind of cope with the Europa League slog alongside trying to qualify for the Champions League again next season or are we kind of going to get caught up where we were a couple of years ago I mean that's the thing it's trying to I don't know that it changes too much about what we need to do this summer it might change our ability to do certain things Mm. Lewis you know financially as Andrew said there's a big difference between Europa League prize money and Champions League prize money and you know it's obvious that if you're in the Champions League you are a bit more attractive to to certain players who want to play at that level i don't think it it completely precludes the ability to sign top players it doesn't have to be uh, Champions League to do that but it might make your life a little bit easier in that regard nevertheless you know, whatever European competition we have next season, and we'll talk about the possibility, potential, outside as it is, of the final day miracle, um, you know, which we're all, you know, I, I know I'm certainly, um, I've seen, I've been there, done that, worn the T-shirt a lot when it comes to seasons and the way seasons end. And, uh, you know, I still can't help myself just going, oh, you know what, though? Maybe, maybe, you know, Delia Smith rocking up to the Tottenham Hotel in her pinafore and seducing Antonio Conte with a big bowl of lasagna and zucchini or whatever. Uh, You know, that's just me and my imagination running wild. But, you know... The, the the job of building out the squad and, and deepening the squad with quality and with depth would have had to be done anyway. If we were in the Champions League, I saw lots of people say, how the fuck are we going to deal with Champions League football next season? You know, we've got about 12 players who play, you know. We still have to do that whether we're in the Europa League or the or the Champions League. So I know it sort of shifts the goalposts a little bit, but in general... It doesn't change the overall uh, work that we've got to do uh, this summer. No, I think I think Andrew was right. It was a shortcut, really, to getting a lot of that work done or the sort of level that you can get that work done to. So in terms of the money that comes in and signing, you know, maybe one extra player, one extra, not, not an extra body for the squad, but an extra player that can step into the first 11 and, mm. and make it better. I think there are, and, and then with the money, it goes hand in hand really with the prestige of the competition. There are just certain players who will not, not play in the Champions League. Um, just an offhand example as I was, depressed and staring at my phone on Tuesday. I, I saw the reports that I think came out on Monday night. Um, might have been Tuesday night and, and Wednesday morning. That Ilkay Gundogan has been told he can leave Manchester City this summer. And I think we were very, very tenuously linked with him. But this the kind of signing that I think is possible for Arsenal if we're in the Champions League. And the just the very faint idea of Ilkay Gundogan playing 38 games, if he could stay fit for 38 games, but, you know, playing 25, 30 games that usually would go to Granite Xhaka in a season, mm. like that feels transformative. And I don't see how he would be tempted to come and join Arsenal without Champions League football. I think that's, you know, I think that's a very particular bracket of players that might be available this summer. Uh, but it is a shortcut to getting players like that. The alternative now is probably trying to attract players with a little bit higher wages than we might have had to, trying to attract players with big bonuses based on, you know, if we do qualify for the Champions League for the following season and probably have to just shop a little bit further down the food chain and, and sign players who can possibly develop into something rather than being ready-made, which... Yeah, it's a shame. It just feels like, as I say, that shortcut's been missed, really. I, I think you're right in terms of the players that we have to sign. 
numbers and things like that it doesn't make a huge difference i think there's a little bit of access to the highest quality players and you never know ahead of the summer who might become available when the domino effect of the transfer market kicks in who there might be who's around to improve you know i guess midfields and and up front of the two areas that most people expect a first choice sort of signing to come in this summer and now we're probably just looking that a little bit further down the list uh, financially, but also in terms of who we can attract. I think, you know, the Europa League, obviously, if you want to see a, a bit of a silver lining there, the bright side is that uh, a Miguel Aziz or Charlie Patino or Amari Hutchinson could get minutes next season that they otherwise wouldn't have got. Like if we're in the Champions League and we've had moments these last few months when those players have been on the bench and they've not been used at all because we have no idea if we can trust them and and how ready they are. We've seen the Europa League before with, you know, when when we were there under Unai Emery and Arsene Wenger, the likes of Bakaya Saka and Reese Nelson and Joe Willock coming into the side. So I think at least in the first part of the season, the group stage depends how that draw falls there could be value in giving minutes to some of those players. And maybe it saves you having to sign midfielder if, you know, your third choice, fourth choice Europa League midfielder is someone from the academy rather than being an extra signing that we'd otherwise have to make. Yeah, I mean, that really depends on how ready they think these players are and whether just playing a few Europa League games for Arsenal next season is enough for their development at this stage or whether they'd be better to go uh, on loan. We saw Miguel Aziz go on loan to Portsmouth last season. It didn't really work out particularly well for him, so maybe he needs to to do that again. Andrew, you know, the the I'm looking at the, the team, I'm looking at the squad, I'm looking at where we are, I'm looking at how close we came and and all the rest of it. And I think we all know there are some fairly significant um, deficiencies within the squad in terms of quality in key positions. And maybe we'll come to that in a moment. But when we're talking now about recruiting players and talking about attracting players, I think it's a fair point that there are going to be some players who are simply unavailable because we're not in the Champions League. But is there a case to be made, for example, that um, Mikel Arteta and Edu and whoever else is involved in these deals, when they're talking to players, when they're trying to convince them of the project, for want of a better word, they can say to them, look, this is what happened last season. We didn't have anyone as good as you. We didn't have your midfield craft. We didn't have your consistent goal threat up front. You can be the guy who can make the difference in this team. Is that a, like, is that sort of something we can use in a positive way? Like, I'm not saying that uh, being Europa League is where we want to be and all that. I don't want to keep having to caveat this particular issue when I talk about it. But if we're, if you're fucking dealt lemons, make some lemonade, right? So is this the kind of lemonade that we can make from what we've got? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think anyone who's watched what's happened over the last couple of weeks and judged generally this season, I mean, most players aren't going to be making the decision to join us off the back of a single conversation or probably even off the back of a couple of results. I, I, I imagine Arsenal, you know, Arsenal still holds a lot of weight in the world of football and, you know, Europa League isn't anything necessarily to be sniffed out, obviously in comparison to Champions League, maybe, but, you know, it actually represents a, a viable piece of silverware. I don't think Arsenal, if they went into the Champions League next season, w- would be challenging to, to, to win it. I think it would be a case of get through the group stage, see what happens in the draw and then, you know, who knows what happens. Um, but the chances are we'd probably go out against, you know, Bayern Munich or, you know. Barcelona. Barcelona or, yeah. or Olympiacos. I don't even know if they're in it. Oh, <laughs> no, they are, aren't they? Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it, there's a lot of positives. Obviously, the overall positives are the club is moving in the right direction after two years of being pretty stale and, and stuck down in eighth. Eighth to fifth is a, is a pretty big jump. Um, I think, Anybody looking at our young squad can look at that and go, that as a group will develop, um, especially if there are some experienced heads coming into work with some really exciting youngsters. Um, I think I think there's a lot of players that you'd want to play with, you know, Smith Rowe and Saka and, you know, pretty much everyone in the defence aside from, you know, <laughs> maybe Cedric. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's, there's a lot of good things going on. I mean, where I get slightly... 
concerned, I guess, is you're not just talking to players who you want to bring in. You're also having to talk to players who are already at the club, right? Mm. And there are going to be some contract renewal talks that come up. And, you know, people like Bukayo Saka, who are real prized assets, uh, you know, two years away from being out of contract. Where do we stand in his eyes at the moment? You know, I think he's obviously an Arteta boy, um, but you want to get him nailed down to a new contract ASAP. And I think Champions League football would have made that a, a relatively easy conversation. I think Europa League football for another season, well, you know, his agents might start kind of having a little look around, having a bit of, you know, trying to figure out what the options are looking ahead. I just think more than anything, next year being in the Europa League puts so much pressure on us to qualify for the Champions League next season that, you know, that could become... Uh, you know, overwhelming, especially if you don't make a fast start. Um, you know, the expectations weren't there this season. To a certain extent, the players have played without any pressure until the pressure was on and they got themselves into that situation and then they panicked. Next season, people aren't going to be quite so patient. You know, it's 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 a case of you're in fifth, now you've got to go get fourth. That All of that kind of slightly concerns me a little bit because I just feel like everything teeters a little bit on the knife edge. But um, yeah, look, when it comes to conversations with players, look, Arsenal are an attractive unit. We seem to have made progress. That should be enough. I mean, I know what you're saying about pressure and and you could say that I think maybe on Monday night, the pressure was a factor. I think there were other factors as well, fitness and all that kind of stuff. But, But... I think there has been pressure this season. I think we've had periods of results or um, little spells during the season which have been so bad that we absolutely had to respond. And you only have to go back a couple of weeks when we lost those three games um, that you know we had to then beat Chelsea. We had to respond against Chelsea, which we did. We beat Man United. We beat West Ham. So I, I know what you're saying about pressure, but I do think it's there. And I think mostly the problems that we have in this squad are are down to the lack of quality and lack of depth in, in key positions. And, and Lewis, goals are the sauce in football. And um, we made a big decision this season when it came to one of the most experienced goal scorers in the squad. And uh, I just wonder as we're sitting here, because, you know, every time I look back on the season, I look at where we are, I look at the league table now and I think about, well, what if we just scored a goal in that game? Or what if there was just one result? If you could go back and change one result, what would it be? And we'd be sitting ahead of Tottenham at this point going into the final game of the season and maybe we would have qualified already. And like you can drive yourself mad doing that. Um, but the Aubameyang thing is, is certainly something that people now at the end of the season when it looks like it's gone wrong, if wrong you want to call it, because of because of where we finished and because of who we're maybe going to finish behind. Is that one which will continue to be a talking point ad infinitum because of, you know, what happened in January, what didn't happen in January and all the rest? I was going to say, don't torture yourself going through all those fixtures where you might have come on and nicked a goal. Um, well, I don't even mean that. I even mean like, you know, so some of the games where perhaps the opposition should have been reduced to 10 men. I'm thinking of Everton. I'm thinking of Palace. And, you know, there, there's like six points maybe that could be the difference. So it's not necessarily about the Aubameyang thing. I yeah. think of every fucking thing that could have gone our way that didn't, <laughs> that could have had us right there. But, you know, I, I do think that this is sort of the big, big issue given he was club captain, his profile, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I it's a hard one because we were we were fine when he wasn't playing. We were good over over Christmas and then we had a couple of injuries and even though people sort of lost it a little bit, I think those bad results in January, we only actually dropped two points in the in the league to Burnley and, and lost to Man City. We still won all the other games in the league. It was just that that horrible run came when we were playing in the cups and we got knocked out of both cups sort mm. of toothlessly. So um, specifically his transfer, I I think it's it was an issue that we didn't sign somebody. I don't think it was necessarily an issue that he left because he hadn't had a particularly good first half of the season. Um, he, he scored more goals than Alex La- Alakazette has since he's gone, but he didn't. He wasn't prolific. He wasn't 
winning us games and, and changing games like maybe that FA Cup run a couple of years ago. So I have a little bit of sympathy with with letting him go. Uh, the decision I don't have much sympathy with is not signing anybody. Um, I also don't really know if the club had much of a choice and yeah, I don't think anyone became available like they were hoping. We were linked with a few strikers, uh, that, but I don't think any of those deals were ever really viable in a way that we'd have got somebody in and and then they wouldn't have done so well maybe or we'd have got somebody in. And I think, Andrew, this is something we spoke about at the time is if you spend 60 or 70 million on somebody, you've got to be sure because you're not signing a 70 million pound euro whatever striker for half a season to get you into the Champions League you're signing a striker for that amount of money to be your first choice striker for mm. four or five years um, you know we've, we've seen it with Nicola Pepe when we spent the last time we spent that amount of money on a single player and now we've kind of just got stuck with him and he's obviously one of the candidates to move on this summer but I don't really see how they can I, I'd be interested to know who's going to give us more than 20 or 30 million uh, if that to mm. take Pepe off our hands on what I'm sure are also huge wages so I think if you get a signing wrong for that fee like Man United can afford to do it but we can't We've a guy like that has to be absolutely top and he's got to be that for three or four seasons not just the uh, six months to score a few goals to get us in the Champions League and I think if you look at Juventus uh, Dusan Vlaovic was obviously the one we were who I guess was most available um, if not most attainable in January and he's not set the world alight for Juventus since he went there in, in January and I can't remember off the top of my head how many goals it is exactly but They've sort of just made Champions League themselves and they got knocked out of the Champions League this season by Villarreal and they lost the cup final to Inter. So it's not like that signing in the short term has has given them any sort of major boost and and seen them kick on. That's the way it can go. I mean, imagine how we'd be feeling right now if we were sitting here and we'd paid 60, 70 million for somebody and he'd scored the four or five goals that Lacazette and Nketiah have between them and we were in the exact same position knowing that... (laughs) Maybe going into the summer, we wouldn't even bother signing any first choice striker because we went and spent it on the guy in January already. So you know, every every transfer is a risk, obviously, uh, but I think they were not willing to take a risk on a big money one in January uh, if it meant compromising on their targets. And I also think he probably just preferred to go to Juventus anyway. So at the end of the day, I'm. I don't know what they could have done much differently in January bar asking Mikel Arteta to be a completely different person who would suddenly reintegrate Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang back into the team because I don't think that was going to happen if he'd have stayed anyway. How do you view January, Andrew? Because there were some comments from Mikel Arteta afterwards where he said, after the game the other night, where he said, we built the team that we could build. And I just wonder if you know, that meeting that he had with Stan over in the States where he flew out there, he was pictured, I think it was at a Denver Nuggets game, maybe, or was it the ice hockey game? I can't quite remember. But Stan was there and everyone was going, oh, he must be going over to get the green light, the rubber stamp on the big money deal or the transfer deals or whatever. Um, And look, nothing happened in the end. And people have pointed out that the two teams that beat us this week both did business in January and those players have helped them um, quite significantly. We didn't do any business and we've we've fallen short. It's not just cause and correlation here, you know. But do you think there were discussions in January about, well, look, you can do something, but it's going to have a big impact on what you want to do in the summer? Or if, you know, if you want to do this in the summer, then you're going to have to, like, sit tight and deal with whatever you have in January and whatever funds that you want to fill those key positions we'll make available to you, you know, in the summer when the market is better. I I get the feeling that the conversation was probably around, around, can we fulfill the aims for this season with what we've got if we don't go and buy Vlajevic? And I think the aims for this season at that point will probably qualify for the Europa League. And they made a call based on that and decided, well, let's give it a good old go. Um, see what happens. And I don't know that maybe at that point, everybody was kind of thinking that we might get as close as this. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like there's been a lot of vibe out of the club that, you know, this has been slightly ahead of schedule and, you know, we've probably exceeded expectations. And I think they obviously decided if we can't get the one we want, we won't bother, as Lewis was saying, spending the money on someone else. Now, I don't 
think we needed to spend 60 or 70 million. I, you know, I'd, I'd quite happily actually taken a couple of loan players, anybody, you know, uh, uh, you know, there were, there were games when we were chasing where anybody who was a target man over six foot who could head a ball might've been a useful addition in the squad. And I, I kind of have some regrets on them, maybe not taking a risk on a, on a sort of, you know, a, a player who there wasn't much of a financial output around. Um, I know that that is easier said than done sometimes. A little bit of me at the time was very much like it was Vlajevic and there weren't really that many other links. There was maybe Jovic on a loan deal was spoken about, but there wasn't that many striker things. And obviously the Arthur fella at Juventus, all of that seemed to tied up in all sorts of you know issues with Juventus's side. I mean, Spurs bought Kulusevski, who has made a, a, a bit of a difference to them. And we were obviously eyeing him at one point, it seemed. What I found quite funny was that, you know, Conte after the January window was very disappointed because they'd let five players go and brought two players in. And actually those two players in Benton Kerr and Kulisevsky have actually probably done the business for them. And he's he's kind of got away with it. So they they kind of took a risk themselves, Spurs. Um and 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 they, you know, it looks like it's gonna pay off for them. Uh yeah, I, I think you and I were both very surprised that there wasn't anything mm. coming in Woods in January. Um, you know, I think we we, we bought a, a goalkeeper in advance and a and a and a an American defender who we expect will never play for the club. Oh, forgot about so him. So yeah. in that respect, you know, to the point where they didn't even bother announcing that deal because they realised that maybe <laughs> people weren't <laughs> weren't in the mood for it. Um, yeah, it was a strange one. And then obviously there were the outgoings. You know, there were players that were allowed to leave at an important moment of the season. Angelie Maitland-Niles probably being the most high-profile of those. Um, maybe Callum Chambers, given how little a fee that we got, that you kind of scratched your head and you wondered, do we need to do that right now? I mean, the fees are so small. Do we need to do that? But we just decided to take the risks everywhere and just went, you know what? We've got a small squad. We we don't have that many games. Let's see how we go. <sighs> I mean, there are, there, are, there are regrets, I think, now. Mm. Um, there are definitely regrets. I mean, all of these decisions I don't think were made in in just like a snap judgment. They must have had a good think about them, particularly somebody like Maitland-Niles, who even if he wasn't particularly happy, even if he wanted to play a bit more football, Lewis, you know, he has a contract at Arsenal. And um, I know he's been sort of through the revolving doors a little bit, you know, in that he, he wants to leave and then he's happy to stay and Mikel Arteta is happy for him to stay and we've got a place for him, but then he doesn't really play and then he wants to leave again. So I know it's not really an ideal situation, but but certainly somebody with his kind of versatility who can play in midfield, he can play a left back, he can play a right back, he can play in both wing back positions. You know, that decision... You know, it's weird. I'm sitting here talking about it now and I'm thinking like, is Ainsley Maitland-Niles the missing piece? Is that why we've we've not got there? And it sounds absolutely ludicrous in my own head, you know? So I think sometimes we ascribe too much to decisions that are made. Would would he have made all the difference or just, just enough difference to turn a defeat into a draw? I don't know. I don't know. But there, there's obviously some... Like, I don't think a manager ever wants to deny himself options without good reason. You know what I mean? It's like, why wouldn't you want to have depth? Why wouldn't you want to have people in your squad? So, you know, whatever these decisions were made, they've sat down and said, do we really, really need this guy? And decided no, basically. When you say all the difference, what is all the difference? All the difference is Granit Xhaka doesn't have to play left back against Brighton. Like that's all. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, all yeah. it is. That's it's like a moment like that. And like you say, the amount that we've watched uh, Cedric and Mohamed El Neni the last few weeks, I find it very hard to believe that Maitland Niles wouldn't have got a fair amount of football these last few games. And not just him, but but Callum Chambers as well, as as Andrew mentioned, we've we ended up in a situation where we couldn't make a sub after a red card at White Hart Lane because the only defender on uh, well, Spurs because the only defender on the bench was injured and and wouldn't have been able to probably play the whole game so yeah it's 
it's not a obviously it does sound ridiculous to think would Ainsley make no Niles and and Callum Chambers have made some enormous sort of difference to the team but you don't need to make an enormous difference it's a tiny tiny difference you know mm. to start that Brighton game not on the back foot because you're just playing Jacker in midfield after you've already lost Thomas Partey from midfield as well um, and it's obviously a lesson that that Mikel Arteta learned quite quickly and he didn't do that again. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a tiny, tiny difference. It's one game that playing Ainsley Maitland-Niles would have had a little bit of a knock-on effect. And, yeah, maybe we wouldn't find ourselves in this situation. It was a strange one, especially, as you say, the situation wasn't ideal for anybody. But he was under contract to Arsenal. He's still under contract to Arsenal. And Callum Chambers, the same. We, like, we didn't get any money for him, letting him go six months early. And we chose not to trigger the extension to have him for one more season as well. But the idea that having a couple of extra players handy in the squad, just in case, um, you know, apparently we didn't subscribe to that. And it, it, with hindsight, obviously, but it's hard to look back now and wonder why we did that. I was going to say, I mean, I think Mo Elneny is a good example of someone where we did actually decide to keep him round and then he proved his worth over a, a four-game run when we needed him. And, um, you know, if 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 Ainsley made Niles comes into the team and there's a storming run and it's five games rather than four that he produces the goods in, then, you know, it is that kind of tiny little bit of a difference. I thought, you know, we also made life difficult for ourselves in that he got very, very into playing Alex Lacazette every game up top mm. and he's stuck with that for for a long, long time. You know, he, he, he effectively benched Pepe and just gave up on him. Um, even after he kind of had one good contribution um, coming off the bench and getting a lot of praise and then it was, suddenly it was back to being on the bench. You know, Eddie will certainly be, you know, I think wondering whether if he'd got a few, a bit more game time just earlier in the season just to get himself a bit more, you know, remind himself of what he can do and remind Arteta what he can do. Mm. I guess in that respect, you know, the lack of the cut runs really, it, it was quite bad for us, really. Just not being able to give minutes to other players to remind the manager of the options at his disposal. Um, he became very, very kind of narrow-minded and focused on who he had and who he trusted. Mm. And I think he might, I hope he learns from that a little bit. I, I know that it was very hard to give minutes to some of the kids, but we effectively went into every game with six players on the bench and three kids who just had, it was just, they were making up the numbers. And I, I kind of, you used to always think back to like Arsene Wenger days and he'd always try and throw at least two or three of those kids in for five, 10 minutes at some point in the season. Again, I'm not saying this is going to make the difference, but as part of their development, their stepping stone, they're making the debut, the kind of, I mean, if nothing else, the value that being an Arsenal player and mm. having that on your CV makes when you then go into the transfer market. Um, you know, there were kids there who I was wondering, if we don't trust Pepe, do we really think that, you know, Hutchinson or a, a Salah or someone is just not worth giving them a go at all? At, you know, I, there, there were just little moments where I thought, go on, take a risk, just throw, you know, try something different there. And, um, and, and we didn't. And that that kind of has frustrated me a little bit this season. Yeah, I wonder is that, you know, I thought about that myself at times. There were a couple of games, I think, where maybe we could have just thrown a kid on as a Hail Mary. And it's a really low-pressure situation for a young player. Like, if you're losing a game, you need a goal. Or if you're drawing, you need a goal. Uh, like, it's not their fault if you don't get it. But maybe they can just come on and with that useful exuberance, that freedom they play with... Um, you know, they can give you something. Just going back to the Lacazette thing, Andrew, um, I mean, do you think the fact that he was... Look, when he came into the team, I think he did play quite well and he was a sort of facilitator for the players around him to contribute in tangible ways with goals and assists. And I think he did, um, he did have some good games and everything else. But... I mean, did the Aubameyang thing feed into that in the sense that when Aubameyang left, it was Lacazette who got the armband and there was so much talk about Aubameyang and his departure and his role as captain that like maybe in the back of his mind, it was like, well, if I drop Lacazette, it's like Arteta falls out with another captain kind of thing where maybe he just stayed on that track a little bit too long. And I think he did maybe three or four games too long with, with Lacazette. 
I think I think Laka made a good impact because we slightly changed the way we play when we had him up top, mm. and it took maybe some other sides a little bit of time to figure that out. But then as soon as they did, and they realised that he was going to go really, really deep like that, and subsequently we'd lack numbers in the box, I think people figured us out. And for all of the work rate that Lacazette put in, I don't think that we were we just became a bit predictable. Um, mm. And that's you know that 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 was not ideal. And it, the thing with the Bamiang is that there isn't going to be a defender anywhere in the world who isn't slightly fearful of a Bamiang, even if he's out of form. And I feel like obviously once he went, it was Lacazette or Bust and maybe Enketia, and you just didn't have people who made the opponents think twice. I didn't think at the times, and 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 again, you know that that can you know that sense of self doubt. That you can, you know, impose on a on an on an opponent, on an opponent. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, we did we didn't do that enough. Lewis, um, I'm sort of slightly torn on um, not one issue, but I'm I'm obviously like everyone else, pretty gutted and disappointed and frustrated that the position we were in didn't turn out to be a. Um, Champions League qualifying position in the end that we had this opportunity and we we threw it away we couldn't cope I think there are reasons I'm not going to make excuses but like some of the players who played against Newcastle for example were absolutely um, not 100% fit and you could see that from the start and um, a confluence of of issues in the game they started very well we didn't have the physicality to play the way we want to play I think that was part of it and then it became self-perpetuating and all that kind of stuff but you know it wasn't just the Newcastle game it was also the Tottenham game it was also the Southampton game the Palace game the Brighton game etc etc where I think you can look and say from that position to do what Arsenal have done is you know it's some kind of a failure I think that's not unreasonable to say given the position we were in but then there's another part of my brain which says well look we were in this position in the first place without a striker for most of the season with Cedric uh, at right back for half the season because Tommy Asu was injured for most of the uh, most of 2022 um without Kieran Tierney who's a very important player but also character as well in this team um i think he brings something in terms of um you know people were talking about his um maybe his lack of attacking prowess this season but defensively i think we talked about it more than once on the preview podcast uh, over on patreon where it's like what what have the opposition got down our left-hand side this season not very much defensively he was really really important thomas partey out missing for the absolute worst time that you could possibly think of losing him in this squad. And yet we were there and it's still close. So how do you view that? The the opportunity missed versus the acknowledgement. I think you 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 kind of have to acknowledge that that getting where we got to is good going with this team and with this group of players and with some of the issues that we've had and we've talked about the depth and the decisions we made, whatever people think about those, to still be where we are. I'm not saying it's an achievement, but you could see pretty easily how you could make it better. So are you wrestling with that at all? Does that give you cause for for doubt or or is that just part and parcel of the way football goes? It No, it, it does give you pause for thought. Like it's... You know, you, you feel down in the doldrums. I think we all have this week um, after the, the two games that have just happened. And then you start to, you know, I don't know, look at the fixture list or think about some of those things you just mentioned. And you do feel reassured in a way that, you know, and who knows, maybe it will be exactly the same again next season and we'll have a left-back crisis and no Thomas Party when, when, just when things get really important again for the third year in a row. But you you do have to feel you know a little bit reassured and and take those green shoots i mean if people want to talk about mentality and stuff and like for me the team that loses three in a row if if there's a crisis of confidence and and no mentality and they never had the the bottle word that i absolutely hate to get in the top four then they don't turn up at stanford bridge and win and then beat man united and then go to west ham and win as well like these these two things can't coexist I mean, especially you didn't just win those three games, but we went to Chelsea and it was a bit chaotic the first half, obviously, but the second half after we'd got ahead, 
they never look like they were actually going to create something and get back into it. Uh, the same for United after we'd, we'd rode a bit of a tough spell and gone 3-1 up. And then the same again at West Ham after we got ourselves 2-1 up. They didn't have a chance really to, to come back into the game. So this is a team that seems to have moments where it has a really steely resolve and and get finds a way to get over the line. And then that's what's so frustrating. There are other moments where it feels like their confidence takes a dip really, really quickly and, and in such a a way that numbs everybody. That's definitely felt the case in the last couple of games. As soon as we've gone 1-0 down, and even that run before Palace, Brighton, Southampton, as soon as we've gone a goal down, you've sort of seen the life just drain out of the entire team. You know, we've, we've talked about that. Sorry, Andrew. Um, but yeah, that's something we've talked about all season, just letting in the first goal. And it's it's strange to me that this team can... It feels like when they're ahead, I think they could beat anyone. They like they seem to have the belief, that at least, that they could beat anyone. And they go one goal down, and it's like it's the end of the world every single week. It just... It's just a lack of goals, isn't it? It's a, it's a lack of belief yeah. in, the, in the number of goals that they're going to score as well. And, you know... The, I think as supporters, we started to feel that way when 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 game states changed as soon as an opponent scored. Because, I mean, the Southampton one, for example, even though we created God knows how many chances that day, there was just a sense I felt watching what mm. I could on a very dodgy stream was that this is just this is just going to be a huge uphill battle. You want to be a good team going into the Champions League. Going one 0 down should not be an obstacle to winning football matches. Obviously, it makes life difficult but it's you know that's not it's it's not an impossibility to come back and and not just for it to you know that should be sort of the type of thing that you can just do over and over and over again you reset you go again I mean you know so long as you keep 10 men on the pitch which was or sorry 11 men on the pitch which is something that obviously we struggled with this season as well but yeah we've got to get some goals got to find some goals from somewhere yeah, I mean, um, I, I was looking at the goal scorers this season, you know, uh, this is all competition, Saka 12, Smith-Rowe 11, Nketiah 9, Aubameyang 7, Lacazette 6, Odegaard 6, Gabriel Martinelli 5, Gabriel 4, Nicolas Pepe's got 3, Partey got a couple, Nuno got 1, and then you're into the ones with Holding, Tierney, Shaka, uh, Callum Chambers, and Charlie Patino scoring a goal. Um, and there's something to be said, isn't there, for, for having goals all over the pitch, having multiple sources of goals. But I also think that you do need to worry the opposition a bit more than we do. Um, and I don't know whether the word presence is the right word, but I was talking to my brother the other day. We were just talking about Liverpool and we were talking about the players that they have at this moment in time. And we're, you know, Salah and Mane and, and that kind of, um, that kind of attacking threat. And I'm not saying just go out, get a Salah or a Mane, even though that would be very nice. And if they could do that, please make it happen. But it's the way you think about the opposition. When you're when you're about to face Liverpool, you're like, oh, fuck. You know, these guys can really hurt us. It, it reminds me of when the opposition must have looked across at Arsenal in the tunnel and seen Henri and Bergkamp and Vieira and Perez and Jumberg. And, you know, these guys who could score when you went a goal down or two goals down. They just have this this aura about them. And in some ways, it informs the way the opposition think about you or how they set up to play against you or, you know, what kind of space they give you, what kind of respect they give you. And there was a point, I think, going back to the Lacazette thing, and this isn't to be like overly critical of him, but, you know, the was it the Brighton game? Maybe it was the Brighton game where or the Southampton game, one, maybe both, actually, where you just thought... And Ketia started at Southampton. Right, well, then the, it was... The it first one when he came in. It must have been the Brighton game then, where you're thinking their central defenders have just got the deck chairs out. You know, they can play high up the pitch or they can just sit off like is that and like let him turn around slowly, <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> There were times in the yeah. second half where you sort of watched it and you thought their centre-backs might be wondering where he'd gone. He was sort of like drifting out to, yeah. to left-back and to try and get deep and pick the ball up. Um, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, and that, I, that's what I'm saying. That that kind of figure in the team, like it's great to have wide players like Saka and Smith Rowe who can score goals. You know, that's brilliant. But I do think you need. I don't, I don't even mean a focal point. I'm not talking about that like traditional number nine center forward who plays with his back to goal. You know, your Giroud type striker. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but you do have to have something in your team which, when the opposition look at the team sheet, think, okay. We've got to be a bit careful here. And we haven't had that player this season. And that could be, you know, I, I said this the other day, I said it on the blog during the week, like the only difference between uh, us and the team that's sitting above us, directly above us in the table, is the fact that they've got two world-class forwards who score you goals. Well, one world-class forward and, and Harry Kane, because um, I will never admit it uh, out loud to anyone. But you know what I mean? He, he does tend to score quite a lot of goals on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, that is really the key difference between the two sides. I, I think if you told me at the beginning of the season that Saka and Smith-Rowe were going to get into double figures and Erdegaard and Martinelli would chip in with another, you know, 10 between them, I'd have said, okay, that's that's pretty good. That's actually filling a hole that we've had in the side for quite a while. You know, we've lacked goals for midfield for a long time. Mm. I was just banking on there being 25 goals between our strikers and we lost that. And <laughs> part of part of what we've lost there, we've we've allowed to leave and go of its own accord. I, I, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that that was, you know, we've chewed over that decision many, many times, mm. but it is very frustrating, I think, that you've plugged one hole and found another, um, and Arteta will be kind of, I don't know, I mean, he's going to be looking at that and thinking, okay, well, we've got to, ha- how do we ensure we don't create holes anywhere now? Yeah. We've just got to fill that gap now. It's, it's it's twofold as well, right? Like we we mentioned that we don't look like or feel like we're going to come back into a game when we're 1-0 down. Well, then surely the opposition feels the exact same thing as well. Like they've not got much to worry about when we're 1-0 down. Like we're not going to throw everything at them and, and really cause them that much stress and, and too many things to worry about. Mm. Um, just finally sort of looking ahead to the game on Sunday. Like I know disappointment is rife and, uh, you know, people's levels of frustration, disappointment, anger, etc., are are going to vary. Um, I mean, how do you think, Andrew, that might transmit to the stadium on Sunday? Because, you know, it is a really, really long shot, but miracles can happen in football. Mad things have happened in football down the years, time and time and time again. I can't give anybody any assurance that, uh, you know, something incredible will happen at Carrow Road or anything like that. But you you just never know. So from the perspective of the players, whoever the fuck we've got available, I'm not quite sure who's going to be playing in, in central defense. If we got like three small boys in an overcoat to go out there and play as one of the center halves, that might be uh, one of the options that we have available to us. But But in terms of the mood, like, I I feel like if we don't end up where we ended up, it's not really through lack of effort or it's not really because we have players who don't give a fuck, who don't care. And, you know, I don't want to go down the list of examples that I could uh, go through over the last number of years where you just know there's guys on the pitch going through the motions who really aren't in it. They're not into it. They're not on board, whatever it is. They're not connected with the fans. I mean, do you think there will be some appreciation for the fact that we got ourselves into that position? Like, we've got young players who, you know, we want to we want to see them. De- we've talked about Saka, we've talked about Smith Rowe, we've talked about Martinelli. You know, who've given a lot to this team this season. It's not their fault per se that we haven't ended up where we want to end up. It's the shortcomings in the squad. It's what we did as a club in January. It feels to me, and like I'm not saying people should get the pitchforks out, but the 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 way it's fallen apart is more a consequence of the gambles and the risks that we took from a, an executive level, a managerial level, than the players themselves just not giving a fuck or not going, not not caring about you know what was at stake. I feel like they really tried, but in the end, just came up short, ran out of steam, ran out of fresh legs, and all the rest of it. Yeah, look, I mean, if 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 we fast forward to the final whistle and you ask me, do I expect people to hang around and cheer the hell out of that team for their efforts this season? I fully expect 
most of the Emirates to hang around and do exactly that. I, that can't be said for, you know, it's not happened every year for mm. over the course of last year. Obviously, last year was a pandemic. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's a level of support there for the players and a real appreciation for who they are, the efforts they've done, the fact that they've given us some really incredible moments this season. Um there's there's a lot and I actually expect the atmosphere to be pretty good going into the game you know it'll be a Sunday the the sun's supposed to be shining people will have had a few beers I think um, there's still that smidgen of hope uh, that the miracle can happen and if it does this podcast has got a very short shelf life really because <laughs> no one's going to want to listen to us being miserable for 45 minutes on any day after Sunday sure um, yeah look I, I I fully expect the crowd to be really you know, into it. And I actually think there'll be a certain level of, you know, starting a, starting again. I mean, the Invincibles started off the back of a terrible defeat, you know, and then I remember the, the 6-1 game against Southampton was 6-0 or 6-1. And there being a sort of sense of defiance in the crowd. It was almost like a, a level of therapy taking place. And I feel maybe everybody needs to kind of be under one roof and to go through 90 minutes again, remind ourselves of why we all bother and um, hopefully end on a, on a, a relatively positive note with a win and set ourselves up for the summer. And people will kind of, you know, chew over this little bit and we'll blow over. And then the excitement of the transfer window kicks in and then you're lured into it all. And it starts again in August and, you know, if this is what football is. Oh shit! Um, here we go again. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I expect it, I expect Sunday to be positive, at least start positive until you know Spurs are four 0 up after about five minutes, and then um, there'll be a few grumbles and people will start getting frustrated about the fact that you know Cedric's playing striker or something. And we've, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what team we're going to put out. No, me neither. Me neither. Lewis, final word to you, just on Sunday and and the. The possibility of a miracle. Um, do you hold out any hope whatsoever? Are we just being deluded here? Uh, because, I mean, look, it would be, let's face it, the kind of Spursiest thing that could ever happen. Um, I, but, you know, I, I don't really think it will. <laughs> I didn't have any hope on Monday night. And I didn't really have any hope on Tuesday, but you have felt it slowly grow throughout the week. You do start to obviously look at the league table and say to yourself, well, you never know, an early goal for Norwich or the longer it goes on nil-nil, they just have to nick one from a set piece or something. So obviously, um, <laughs> stranger things, I don't, know how, I don't know how much stranger, but stranger things have happened. Um I don't hold up much hope, but if you if you ask me again about three o'clock on Sunday, I'm sure I'll be telling myself that Norwich have got it in them to, to beat Spurs two <laughs> 0 and and give us the chance to have it in our own hands again. Yeah, well, look, we'll we'll see. We'll keep everything crossed for for that kind of miracle. Um, and like you say, Andrew, it would certainly change the tone of of the podcast. Uh, that's for sure. All right, look, we'll leave how, it. Uh, Go on. How how ridiculous, by the way, that like the we are all so miserable and and I think com completely within reason um, but if we just win a single football match we could still be in the Champions League like it, it is completely absurd that I know, I know it feels like it's gone but it makes no sense it is it's the 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 ludicrousness of football that define margins define completely how you are viewed and what you're capable of and what you have and what you don't have was it was it Pep last week who was talking about it was it the was it character or personality or something like that? Yeah, yeah. You know, like we don't have personality. What if Grealish scores that goal or what if it, you know, Courtois doesn't make that save? All of a sudden we have personality, but because he does, we don't have any personality. You know, that is just the, the way football works though, you know? Um, you're judged uh, on outcome and um, from where we were, fifth feels bad. Um, but you never know. You never know. We could be sitting here next week laughing our fucking heads off. So let's hope uh, Let's hope that's the case. Lewis, uh, as always, thank you very much. Thank you. And have a good time in London. I'll do my best. Andrew, thank you as well. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you. Likewise. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sport and Lewis is on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Right, I am going to go get my shit together because I've got to uh, finish up this podcast, get it uploaded for you and all the rest of it, and also get myself ready to go to London tomorrow. Looking forward, of course, to seeing Arsenal on Sunday, but of course, looking forward to seeing many of you at the live podcast event that we are doing at Union Chapel uh, in Islington tomorrow night. We're hooking up with the Arsenal Vision podcast guy, so it will be myself and James along with Elliot, Clive, Paul and Tim to give you a quick overview of what's going to happen and when. I think the doors open at 6.30. There is a bar upstairs. Show kicks off around 7.30. Uh, there'll be an interval uh, in, in the middle. I guess that's where intervals go. And then there'll be a, a part two of the show. We'll do some uh, Q&A uh, from the audience. We've got some bits and pieces. We've also got some spot prizes and all that kind of stuff to give away. If you fancy coming along, unfortunately, it is sold out. Out, but I would suggest keeping an eye on the various Twitter accounts, certainly mine and uh, Elliot at Yankee Gunner and the Arsenal Vision podcast account, because there will be people who last minute can't go for whatever reason, and I'm sure they'll get in touch. So we'll give a retweet. There may well be tickets available um, on the day if you're fast enough. If you're not, we are going to be streaming the event live to our Patreon members. So I know many of them around the world would like to go to an event like this, but obviously can't because of location and distance and flying and all that kind of stuff. But it will be available uh, as a live stream uh, on Patreon. If you want to sign up, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. And hopefully we'll have a good night. I know everything has been a bit down and everything is, uh, you know, a bit fraught this week. But still, we will do our best to have a good fun night. Uh, without having to skirt the issues too much and all that kind of stuff. So we're looking forward to seeing so many of you there. And thank you very much indeed. If you've bought tickets, your support means the world to us. So for me, for now, that's just about it. We will have a preview podcast, an Everton preview podcast. We will have that on Saturday uh, on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash arsebug. For now, thank you very much indeed for listening as always. Thanks for being here all season long as we go into this uh, final game where we're hoping for a win and also a bit of a miracle elsewhere. Right, that's it. Catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter at A. Allen Sport and Lewis is on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Right, I am going to go get my shit together because I've got to uh, finish up this podcast, get it uploaded for you and all the rest of it, and also get myself ready to go to London tomorrow. Looking forward, of course, to seeing Arsenal on Sunday, but of course, looking forward to seeing many of you at the live podcast event that we are doing at Union Chapel uh, in Islington tomorrow night. We're hooking up with the Arsenal Vision podcast guy, so it will be myself and James, along with Elliot, Clive, Paul and Tim to give you a quick overview of what's going to happen and when. I think the doors open at 6.30. There is a bar upstairs. Show kicks off around 7.30. Uh, there'll be an interval uh, in, in the middle. I guess that's where intervals go. And then there'll be a, a part two of the show. We'll do some uh, Q&A uh, from the audience. We've got some bits and pieces. We've also got some spot prizes and all that kind of stuff to give away. If you fancy coming along, unfortunately, it is 
sold out, but I would suggest keeping an eye on the various Twitter accounts, certainly mine and uh, Elliot at Yankee Gunner and the Arsenal Vision podcast account, because there will be people who last minute can't go for whatever reason, and I'm sure they'll get in touch. So we'll give a retweet. There may well be tickets available um, on the day if you're fast enough. If you're not, we are going to be streaming the event live to our Patreon members. So I know many of them around the world would like to go to an event like this, but obviously can't because of location and distance and flying and all that kind of stuff. But it will be available uh, as a live stream uh, on Patreon. If you want to sign up, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. And hopefully we'll have a good night. I know everything has been a bit down and everything is, uh, you know, a bit fraught this week. But still, we will do our best to have a good fun night. Uh, without having to skirt the issues too much and all that kind of stuff. So we're looking forward to seeing so many of you there. And thank you very much indeed. If you've bought tickets, your support means the world to us. So for me, for now, that's just about it. We will have a preview podcast, an Everton preview podcast. We will have that on Saturday uh, on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash arsebug. For now, thank you very much indeed for listening as always. Thanks for being here all season long as we go into this uh, final game where we're hoping for a win and also a bit of a miracle elsewhere. Right, that's it. Catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Another incredible football season comes to an end with the most dramatic, incredible, spine-tingling denouement that any of us could ever have considered. Standing in front of you now, one club is head and shoulders above all the others. They had competitors of the highest caliber. But when push came to shove, at the key moments, their experience, their quality shone through. Their work shining as a pinnacle to which all others aspire. And so as we close the lid on the 2022-2022 season, Here are the Champions League of Kit Video's winners, Arsenal! I bought two shirts because the video got me right in the feels. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.